and we're live. This is uh, the Home Lab Show, episode one fifteen. Jay wasn't around, but there's another Jason here. How you doing, Jason Slagle? I'm good. <laughs> this is a topic that has been brought up several times, and it's all about the uh, Cisco, Meraki, and some of the other old equipment that's good for your home lab. Jason's way more of an expert at it than I am, so uh, he's he's our special guest today, uh, subject matter expert on all this fun stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's a. Uh, uh... It's been something I've done for a long time. I mean, my background originally was networking, right? I, I worked for an ISP for many, many years. Uh, I've done my CCIE lab a couple of times. Unfortunately, did not pass. Uh, it's very hard. Uh, I think these days I probably could pass if I was willing to put in the the time to study, uh, but I'm not. <laughs> Just yeah. plain and simple. There's no benefit to me to doing it. <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun in the, uh, you know, just, to prove you know it, but at some point it kind of gets like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I let all my Cisco certs expire. I had my CCMP route switch, my CCDP route switch, uh, and I had the CCI written. I've actually passed the CCI written twice, uh, but I didn't go any further than that. I mean, I, I labbed the CCIE three times, and uh, again, each time I missed by like a point or two, and I and it was dumb stuff. It's those things are like time management problems. They're not actually, I call it stupid router tricks because if you did the things they make you do in production, you'd get fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I, that's my minimal pursuit I did in the nineties to the first versions of the Microsoft security, not Microsoft security, um, uh, Microsoft administrator stuff. The, yep. what was that called? MCS? MCSA. Yeah. MCSA stuff in the early yep. days. And uh, yeah, someone was really aggravating. Cause it's like, wait, because I remember there was a question I got wrong about, you could you change support for RDP? The answer is supposed to be no. I'm like, yeah, he's going to register and change this. And mm -hmm. they're, they're like, no, that's the wrong answer. I'm like, no, it's the right answer. I, I had to do it the other day. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the correct answer. It's not the answer they want. It's not the answer they want. Yeah. I said, well, this test is stupid. And I'm not taking it again. And I never did. <laughs> yeah. When you when you went and did the IE route switch, when I did it the first time, I mean, it still had, this is, I'm really going to make myself old here. It still had DLSW plus and IPX on it, which are mm. two protocols, uh, DLSWD Plus is one that probably no one's ever heard of if they don't work in banking. Uh, IPX was pretty common back in the Novella days. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the IPX stuff. But that's why we're bringing it up, though, is there are people who definitely are pursuing. And it's available still today to get a Cisco certification oh, yeah. because it will show people that you do know <laughs> the Cisco stuff. Yeah. And then general networking, even if you're not getting hired for that job. If yep. someone has that cert, you go, okay, they understand networking. They're going to get the, yeah. they understand, know what a subnet is. <laughs> I mean, CCNA, CCENT, I think is a low end one now, but CCNA, right? Like it shows, you have to at least know the OSI model to get through it, right? And and that's so much of it. Although I know plenty of people with their CCNA that still screw up VLANs because they don't quite understand the difference between layer two and layer three. They think they do, right? But they're like, oh yeah, every switch needs an interface on every V. No, you don't want that. Yeah. Right. And so let's talk about some of the older Cisco gear. What some of the pros and cons? Yeah. Of it. We started the Cisco. They're the biggest one. There's a plethora of it on eBay and places. Yeah. It, it's cheap, right? Like you can pick up. I mean, if you're if you're not looking at 10 gig, right? If you're if your home lab, and I'll caveat, and we can have a whole discussion in a little bit about what your goals are, right? But if you just need it to work, and you're and you're stuck with uh, uh, like, and you're okay with one gig port speeds, or maybe one gig with a handful of 10 gig. You can pick up like 3750s. Like I'm looking at one right now, a 48 port 3750 uh, POE for you know 35 bucks on <laughs> on eBay, right? And 
3750 is a workhorse. It works fine. You're right. Here's a 3750X, right? The sound's probably got, it doesn't have a network module in it. So it's only 48 port, 10 hundred gig, right? Uh, but it's, again, this one's not PoE, but 50 bucks, right? And, and those things, they're workhorses. They will work forever. Uh, and they will not, like they, I've, in my entire career, I've had maybe two fail, right? Like the uh, ports in them fail, but they just go forever, Sometimes we'll wear the flash out in them. Yeah. But, yeah. As long as you make sure you save that running config enough times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, Avic on the small business stuff, Avic has killed a bunch of the small business stuff we had because it writes config a lot and just wears the NVRAM out. <laughs> I think the uh, important thing is a lot of people don't realize how infrequently they need 10 gig. Uh, yeah. My friend Jeff from Craft Computing just had his whole video of his lab, and he talked about some of the futility and why he's got so many things still on one gig. Because, cool, you want to run Pi Hole in your home lab and Plex. Pe people, I've seen a lot of people tell me, oh, don't I need like 10 gig for Plex? I'm like, look, no. Netflix comes into your house at less than 10 gig yeah. to several TVs. You can also, provided you have enough speed to run the Plex server if you're transcoding, which I'm not usually doing now. I'm just trying to run it native. You can have quite a few of them running over one gig connections. Well, I mean, what is a 4K, right? A 4K stream is what, 30 to 60 megabits? Yeah. So are you running more than 10 of them? Right, right. right? Like, so. <laughs> your Plex box is going to fall over long before your giggy networking falls over. Yeah, gig networking is way more relevant than people think it is. Yeah. Uh, I, the only connection I have that's 10 gig is my video editing. The rest of my network is a combination of Wi-Fi, which is less than one gig speed, yeah. or one gig connections to random devices that I have. <laughs> I have, so I have a Catalyst 9200 at home that has eight, no, 16 gig ports in it, right? So it has 16 ports that'll do uh, 10 hundred or, or all the way up to 10 gig copper. Uh, and it'll do four 10 gig SFP plus, right? And and so I have like my one uh, XCPNG box is 10 gig and one of my storage boxes is 10 gig, right? And that is probably the use case for it. If you're if your storage is sufficiently fast, then it is great to do 10 gig to it. If you're... Uh, if you are moving a ton of data that you will obviously see a benefit, right? But like the reality of it is, is that even at one gig, you're looking at what, uh, 125 megabytes a second, theoretical max. And you're probably like most home lab storage equipment is going to struggle to write more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, something worth noting too, when we say Cisco, Cisco has a weird dividing line. If yeah. you will, you don't want that, what I guess is a was used to be Linksys is yeah. then became another line of that stuff. Yep. That stuff's not great. <laughs> yeah. The CBS stuff. I mean, it works right, but it's probably honestly wouldn't be my first choice. Like I had a, a, a SG three fifty at home forever and it works. Right. But like a bunch of the pros, like I had a whole list. I have a whole list here. Like the pros, right. If you're studying, right. I saw somebody in the comment section talked about CCNA, right. If you're studying for your CCNA and you're studying for Cisco search, or you want to do networking in the enterprise, like you still generally can't go wrong with Cisco. You'll find plenty of people that are running Cisco in the core, right? And they've got a good feature set and they're good and cheap. And now with like modern Ansible, you can even configure them via Ansible. So if you want to learn how to do some of the networking stuff there, they're great for that, right? But uh, they they come with some negatives too. And uh, the negatives are like they're expensive if you want current stuff. Uh, they're license locked if you want current stuff. 
it can be hard to get iOS if you don't get creative and I'm not going to like it. <laughs> People know how to get creative. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the file names are predictable. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Right. Like you can figure out what the file name is or what the version you want. You can probably find it. Uh, the optics can be expensive. If you're not willing to do a uh, service unsupported transceiver. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't just do that. Right. And then the biggest thing is they have security issues if you don't patch them. Uh, but a lot of those are feature locked and you're probably not going to use the features that actually have the security issues. But none of that applies to the small business stuff, right? Like the small business stuff, it's not iOS, right? It's not an XOS. It's not iOS XE or XR, right? It's like its own kind of Cisco-like language that's different enough that it will drive you insane. Yes. I hate it. it it's because I the covered that when I did so this small business reviews. I said, this is yeah. not iOS in the version that you understand because it's missing so many features. Yeah. Uh, it made several of my Cisco friends angry because when I was trying to review it, I had just run into commands that wouldn't work. But everyone's like, oh, no, they should work, Tom. You just don't know what you're doing. I said, come on over. Let's SSH yeah. into this. <laughs> I mean, the big iron, right? The Cisco, somebody pointed out, I think this guy here. I mean, I don't know if you show comments on the show or not, but like, I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. This here points out that, like, the, you know, the newer stuff runs and Nexus Star runs on XOS, right? And they have ACI, yeah. which is all really cool technology, right? But it's might be overkill for home lab unless you're studying for particular certifications that require it. Uh, as far as the CCNA goes, right? Like generally until fairly recently, you could get away with like the 3750, 3850 series stuff. There may be some newer stuff. They're constantly updating the curriculum on there, right? So you can probably get 80 to 90% of the way done studying using like, the older stuff and then go find like INE or one of the other people that will let you do a rack rental, right? To get like the little bit of time you need with the newer stuff if you can't find another way to do it. Right. That's a very good way to do that. If you're trying to, if you're, if your goal is to learn the Cisco stuff, when I was studying for my CCIE, I had a, I, my networking stack at home looked way different. I had a bunch of Cisco routers in it and I had a bunch of Cisco switches in it. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I had an ISDN simulator. Remember that? Oh yeah. Um, I could do PRI and BRI. But you know, I, yeah. I think it's important though. You mentioned, you know, the older Cisco stuff, like you said, it's really cheap on eBay. I know someone, I've seen the comment fly by where if you want an airplane in your house, yes, they have a certain yeah. level of noise they produce. So oh, yeah. this is not going to, this is not quiet mode Cisco. This is the old stuff. They didn't think about noise levels with them. I think it's important to know though, once you kind of get the hang of iOS and start learning it, the other routers we'll talk about in a minute, in a minute here are similar in a way. So the command line structure yeah. I think Cisco's pretty much like they set the standard and there's some variations. They may do things a little different, but overall there's a lot of similarities as you go down the list. Yeah. It, and, and again, like the biggest point there is like, don't I Cisco's not going to like it for home lab. Do not buy the small business stuff. There are so many, like there's no pros, right? It's like, there are way cheaper options. It, you're not going to use it. If your goal is to move data, right? Like you're not going to use it to study for anything right. useful. And if your goal is to move data, there are way cheaper ways to do it. Yeah. It, there's a few of them that were okay priced on their yeah. POE, but I said okay price because they were on sale on Amazon, not because you could get them for an incredible deal. And yeah. <laughs> I think I still have a 6513 in production somewhere. So yeah, uh, that's a 13U rack mount. That, that's a 9U, the 6509. Those things are workhorses. They work forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what makes them available so easily on eBay is because they may be the out of support for the enterprise, but they're still a great learning opportunity for you. And they're fun to play with um, mess around with all the old Cisco stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I mean, but again, like this comes down to 
what your goal is, right? And I, I can't stress that enough. If your goal is not to learn networking stuff, then it doesn't terribly matter what you end up using here. Yeah. Right. Like uh, I was, we were talking about it before it, like one of the, how I learned about serve the home, right? Like is they had the, where they first got big is there were some, I forget who made them. Somebody made a bunch of switches that you could reflash and put the brocade OS on them and you could get cheap, like 24 port 10 gig switches. And that's how it kind of became known to me and a bunch of other people is that like, Hey, just go buy these cheap switches on eBay, flash them with the brocade firmware. And you could do that. And if your goal was to move data, they move data just fine, right? Like uh, there's some considerations there if you want to run iSCSI, right? Maybe you want jumbo frames. Uh, most of the Cisco stuff we're talking about here, like unless you get down to like the 2960 level, all of it will support jumbo frames. Uh, you probably need to learn your networking pretty well. Uh, if you want to run iSCSI, uh, the number of people I've seen totally grenade their lives because they don't understand how iSCSI works and they screw it up is really high. Yes. So there's a certain percentage of consulting we do to unravel messed up yes. iSCSI setups. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I've seen uh, the worst case I've ever seen is we had a customer in production that uh, they ran out of space. Uh, on their Synology backed, right? Like this was, they're running a VM. I think it was, uh, it was on a SAN. They ran out of space in it. So they just iSCSI'd a node over from their, uh, from their Synology box and then used Windows storage spaces to just like stripe onto it. And that disappeared in a ball of flames. And it took, it took Humpty Dumpty. Uh, <laughs> it took me three weeks to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but I did. Yeah. It can yeah. be done. Yeah. You got to be careful uh, testing a lot of that. What are some of the cons besides the sounding like an airplane of some of the old Cisco equipment? What are some caveats and pitfalls? Uh, I mean, optics can be expensive, right? Like uh, the Cisco optics are typically very expensive. They're uh, again, they're insecure, right? Like, but it may not matter again, right? Like these are home labs and in real re the reality is you know you and i were kind of talking about it in an unrelated thing earlier no one's burning their o day to get into your home lab right <laughs> like it's not it, it's not a huge deal like as long as you understand the caveats of that and it's not a production environment and it is just a learning lab environment then those security issues are probably not that big of a deal just firewall yeah. off the control plane firewall off the control plane put them on a separate one and i've had people say hey what about I'll be signing it to a specific port and I only plug that port in when I want to manage it. Perfect. Yeah. You've, you've mitigated the problem. Uh, you're solving it. You've locked it down so other people yeah. can't get to that management plane. So now you've, if something wanders into your, or your friends come over with, you know, with someone remotely controlling things, looking for some uh, flaw, they're not likely to find it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so this guy here asks about directly about uh, uh, licensing. Licensing can be an issue. Uh, it, if the older stuff, it tends to not be anything older than like a 3850. I think you tend to not have licensing issues because they didn't switch to the, you can at least run the non-universal licensing on it. Uh, if it is universal licensing, it's only feature unlocks, right? Like there, the switch isn't going to stop working unless it's Meraki, in which case you have to have a license on it. But the Cisco stuff, it'll pass data. You just may, like you may have IP base versus, or LAN light versus IP base versus LAN base, right? Like there's three or four different service levels, right? So it's worth paying attention when you buy these on eBay with what they come with. Uh, especially if they're newer because you you can't just go randomly download an iOS and suddenly it used to be I could just load the like IP services 
image on all of them. Not that I ever did this when I was studying <laughs> for my CCIE, but you you know you would just buy a router and then you would just find. Uh, yeah. You, essentially you would find another CCIE because one of the things you get once you get your CCIE is you get access to all of the iOS images. So you would just find another CCIE to just grab you the image you need and you just load it on. And suddenly you were the, the IP services and you could do all of the things, uh, but they've changed that now. So they are license locked, right? So you may not be able to upgrade. Uh, and, and this matters a lot with the, the models that have L in the name, right? So like 2960L or 9200L, you can't typically upgrade those to like a layer three image. They have they run land based, so they are somewhat feature limited. But for home lab use, they have 90%, they, actually probably 100% of the features you need for home lab. Probably not 100% if you're studying for one of the certification tests. No, I've always learned on real hardware. And I've seen a couple of people in the comments here ask about GNS3. Did you ever use that? Or? Yep. Uh, it works great for that, right? It's it's another thing you can do to run iOS. You can configure it up. I you made pretty the Cisco for the CCNA level. Cisco makes something if they still make it. I think it's called Packet Tracer. Yeah, I think that still exists too. Uh, it, I mean, it works perfectly fine for uh, for the CCNA level stuff. They had one above it, and let me see if this one is still around. Uh, called Viral V I R L. Uh, it is. It's still around, uh, and it's like a hundred bucks a year, and it lets you do fancier things. Like it'll actually run uh, full switch software. You can do ASAV. You can do iOS XR and XE stuff. Uh, you can do up to twenty nodes. Yeah, you can do a personal edition with twenty nodes in it, uh, and it runs real images, right? So that's another good cheap way to do that. Uh, I used that quite a bit. Oh, it's okay. So, yeah, CML is the uh, uh, CML was the big commercial version of viral. I, I don't know. It may, they may be have uh, gotten rid of it, but that's another option alternative to GNS three. And the nice thing about that is you can configure up a bunch of virtual stuff, but again, like you have to be, if your home lab is networking focused, right. Then this all makes sense. And I, I think it's, I've always liked the real hardware myself because it's where I started long before these tools existed, you know, just like you did uh, early in my career. It's cool that they have these now. And I think they are pretty good when you can't get your hands on a lot of hardware. Yeah. I, I just have less experience using them to, you know, I just yeah. like the hands on watching the plugs light up. <laughs> yeah, they're, I mean, they're for if your goal is to just study for like the CC and again, I think packet tracer is probably enough. Somebody directly asked, I think packet tracer is probably enough for CCNA these days, unless they've somehow made it harder. CCNA is one. I, it's probably been, I think I last took it like five years ago and I don't even think I studied. I think I just went in and took it. Uh, it's mostly theory. There is some where they put you on the CLI, so you have to know how to do it, but you're not really doing anything super fancy. I'd have to look over the blueprint these days to see if it's, uh, it, to see what the uh, actual features there that you would need real hardware there. But even for CCMP, I think something like, uh, viral, right? Like, uh, or CML, if you can get a light versus CML or GNS three, right? Like at that point you start needing bigger hardware, right? Like, so you're going to need something that does BGP. You're going to need something that can do, uh, in this case, probably ISIS. Cause they're probably starting to bring some of their, uh, uh, shortest path bridging stuff into, into some of those more advanced topics. Uh, you're going to need to be able to do DMVPN and all that other stuff. And you, it's just too much hardware to buy, right? Like the uh, CCIE lab these days is all virtual, right? It's all run on CML. But back when it was physical hardware, it was like 12 routers plus 
12 routers that you could configure and then they had a handful that you had to talk to on the outside right so no one's got that amount of hardware running around uh it becomes very expensive to get there right so you end up using something like a viral uh to do that yeah I, they're all valid especially yeah. and i think we already can tell by the comments a lot of people are into diving deep into the networking there's a demand for uh, people to know that there's never yeah, enough networking for sure 100 <laughs> And I think it's a good base, right? Like we, again, like the biggest thing we struggle with here with uh, people when they get into networking is uh, they don't quite understand the difference between layer two and layer three. Yeah. And we may have, we may have had to go on site for a loop created just the other day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably a spanning tree. That's another thing. Spanning tree is just a whole lot of nonsense that people don't understand well. Yeah. Uh, and when you, it, it's one of those things that you don't have to understand it until you break it. And then you're, and then you never figure out what's wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> until you understand it. Don't mess with the weights unless you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about micro tick. Yeah. Micro tick or micro tick. I think it's actually micro tick. Uh, there's a lot of good. There's a wonderful debate about that. Apparently if you're from Latvia, you're supposed to say it might, Microtech, but okay. if you're not from Latvia, this is actually from someone from Latvia that I talked to that told me this, which I thought was great. <laughs> I it that stuff like it while it's not the absolute cheapest you can get, it is the cheapest I think I've seen that isn't random Alibaba purchases. <laughs> yeah, I the, you know it's amazing how much they cram into those little devices. Yeah. It's it's a boatload. I love when they came out with their little four port 10 gig i yep. still have it still yep. get dates and that little box man it was the cheapest way you could get four ports and 10 gig for years before yeah. anyone ever caught up yep. with making anything in the same price range yeah i have the crs 316 i think it is it's a 16 port like 10 gig all sfp plus one and i mean the first thing that when i pulled it out of the box i mean it's like six five it was like four five six hundred bucks i can't it was cheap super yeah. cheap for 16 10 gig ports still it's pretty cheap for 16 10 gig ports. I pulled it out of the box. And I'm like, is this thing full of helium? It is so light. There's nothing to it at all. Uh, in but like I, the pros there, I mean, that is the pro, right? The the two pros are it's dirt cheap and it's reasonably performant. If you not really aren't doing much on it to me, the cons are, I absolutely loathe router OS to configure a switch in switch os or sws seems half baked to me like it's missing a ton of features and the configuration as it was just pointed out the configuration is ridiculously wonky it's not just a little bit wonky it's very 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 wonky uh and i yeah you pay with your time with me yes what you saved yeah. what you saved out of the box for i found switch os for the most basic of vlan setups fine yeah beyond that Although there may be a lot of features written in there for what yeah. it can do. Good luck getting it to do it in a sane way. Uh, someone in my forums, I love their comment. They said, MakerTick is a device I love, but there's always some secret incantation you'll find in their forums that you're yeah. not sure why it works. But for some reason, you copy and paste it in and it starts doing the thing you thought it should do in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. And then the other thing is, is that like it's got all these features, right? So I have this like CRS 316 and it's got 16 and it's like it does layer three. And then you start reading the fine print and it's like yeah it does layer three at like a gig because yeah. as soon as you start right the all of these things in the end the micro tick and a lot of those super super cheap layer three switches they don't they're they're using off-the-shelf reference hardware from like broadcom or one of the vendors and so it's a switch module that like 
it has the 16 ports in it, right? And all of the cam and all the Mac uh, forwarding, all the all of the layer two stuff happens in the hardware of that chip. But as soon as you need to go to layer three and cross those layer two boundaries, it goes back to the CPUs and the CPU is woefully underperformant in almost all of those boxes, right? So like uh, the, the MikroTik is really, really bad about that, that it's like every one of their boxes supports all of the features, but it supports all of them at like one one hundredth of the performance of not using them. Yeah, that's the, in, I don't think as many people you're usually when I see people ask me about layer three, like they really think they have a demand for, it, especially if it's a home lab user. I'm like, why are you routing your storage? Let's get yeah. to that topic. Yeah, I made it. I have a dedicated video oh. about storage design because yeah. I've solved so many problems. Like, why are you trying to route your store? Oh, I wanted to VLAN off my storage and then put a route. I'm like, no, you don't. That is no, not what you, you want to do. <laughs> you want to VLAN off your storage and have only your storage and the things talking to the storage on that network. Right. And the default gateway on it. That's probably yeah. what you want to do, right? Like you, there's no, uh, I used to use for a long time, uh, and I, there's still some downstairs. Uh, we I used dedicated hardware for. I, I had some Cisco 2960Gs I bought, and they were when I was using uh, uh, what are those the Equalogics, right? Because they had four one gig ports for the iSCSI, and it was it was just its own network. It wasn't routed. It wasn't uplinked to anything other than its its management interface was connected to the other switch stack, but there was literally no way to reach the iSCSI network, not on the iSCSI network. There's no reason to. Right. They, they, they need to be separate and that's just good storage design. When you put that all separate, you don't want them part of it. Especially if you, yeah. you know, you want to, your patch management cycles to be really fast for all your normal switches, yep. but you have to be very careful. You don't yeah. patch a guys cause he switched, you know, during yeah. hours. While yeah, if you run a, if you run VMware, you get that dreaded all paths down message, which is the bane <laughs> of your existence. You don't want that. Like you need, uh, if you're running storage over IP in production, you really need to consider your network design as far as resiliency goes, right? Like, what is your patching plan to patch that system? Uh, what is your patching plan to patch, right? This is one of the big problems I have with the TrueNAS stuff when you're running a production. Like, what's my plan to patch that TrueNAS box? Because I got to reboot it to do it, and it's down for like eight minutes. And VMs don't like not having storage for eight minutes. They get kind of cranky. Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you need outside of a home lab in a home lab environment, that's fine, right? Just shut everything down and patch it, right? Like it, it, that's, that's fine. In, in a production environment, it's less so. So, uh, the micro tech to me, it's, I, I see two use cases for it. It's great for home lab. It's great for cheap, like storage that just move bits around where you don't really need the features. And as somebody pointed out somewhere in these comments, like you don't really change your switching configuration that often, at least no. I don't. Like I can count, I, I actually, I can't remember the last time I made a VLAN change at home on any of my ports, right? Like it just works. Uh, it, you just set it up and you kind of forget it. And if that's all you need and you're not focused on networking and you want to focus on other things instead, then by all means, it, it works fine. It's cheap. It works. Yeah. And I think uh, something else to make note of, it's called router OS. And I've yeah. seen people say, do you want to contribute to the Mikrotech botnet? Unfortunately, Mikrotech, like any company, they've had some security flaws, but a little bit worse than that was they had a default configuration that left the WAN open to management. And of course, the tyranny of the default is no one changes the default settings. 
So there are a yeah. absolutely large sum of Mikrotechs contributing to the yep. world of botnets because people do things at default. It was the cheapest device. They yep. were, didn't have experience to understand how to set it up properly. Uh, I'm glad they do not have that as a default anymore because it was just very yeah. unfortunate. They should have known. It's one of those things like I, I partly blame them. People like to blame the users, but I'm like, no, no, no. No, it's yeah. not. Guardrails around people. It, it wasn't the users at all, right? Like in almost all cases, if you actually dig into that, it's crappy wireless ISPs because the oh, microtech yeah. devices are the favorite CPEs of most wireless ISPs, or at least were for many, many years because they were dirt cheap. They were disposable. You could replace them. They had enough features for the wireless ISP need eat them. And you could ship them to a client and just say, hey, plug this into the radio and plug it into your network and you're good to go, right? It, it became the crappy cable modem of wireless ISPs. And most of them, I there was... It was a backdoor account in Winbox, right? Like that was the actual. It wasn't the admin password. There was also a backdoor account that well, for years, like, years, years, years shipped. I think a lot of it was it, it by default had the management ports all exposed, mm -hmm. which is just not how anything should be configured by default. Yep, yep. It was a yeah a combination of those. Couple yeah, of things. and then people having a good password. Well, it's we can ask them to, but they won't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, others. Yeah, Enterprise. What about Juniper, Arista, uh, and Aruba? How's, what's your thoughts on some of those? I mean, they're great. I love Arista switches. They're they're probably the most configurable if you're doing like leaf spine or anything super crazy like that, right? But like I question their use in the home lab unless you're specifically trying to go and learn into that direction, right? Like, yeah, by all means, right? Like if you're a Juniper ruled for a long time the core networking space of the internet right like again i'm my my background is all uh back when like the mx 480 i think it was the big huge uh juniper boxes that ran the core of the internet i think arista has recently overtaken a lot of that stuff especially in the data center space because it's super configurable once you get into that space though like right if you're if you're running arista and you're looking at like fully spine and all the other cool things that come with that like you really want to be using something like ansible to configure that right and so maybe you have two goals now you maybe you need some networking hardware to configure but you probably also need a more traditional home lab to start playing with ansible to start learning some of that stuff too yeah i they're kind of a niche in the home lab i don't know that there's as much availability on ebay for those not like there is for cisco um and yeah. I'm, not, I'm not as up to date on how the licensing would work once it's removed from the uh, data center area. It, I the the problem is, and this is going to be a big problem, I think, going forward for uh, uh, home labbers is almost all of these companies are trying to figure out how they can go to the recurring revenue model. Yep. Right. And so Cisco, like the writings, I saw somebody earlier in the comments talking about DNA and uh, DNA Center and all the other like crappy UIs that uh, Cisco uh, Catalyst Center. Yep. Or DNA there. Those are terrible. I hate them. I absolutely hate them. The the only successful GUI dashboard that Cisco has ever released, in my opinion, they bought from Meraki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're actually starting to see support for like you can put Catalyst 92 and 9300, some of their switches that run uh, containers on them. You can actually manage in the Meraki portal now. Huh? Yeah. Now, we should talk about the other cheap one. The have you used the FS.com ones? Uh, yeah the uh that client uh the the VMware client they use some of them. I mean they're like they it's the same sort of like Fisher Price interface that a lot of those really crappy web interface ones use. Like it is good enough. The CLI in it was really wonky. Uh, not as wonky as Fortinet, but kind of wonky. 
the they work again if your goal is to move data, right? Like if your goal is to move data, then by all means buy one or one of the other 16,000 uh, Alibaba reference platform switches you can buy on Alibaba, right? Like they, they work just fine. Yeah, I think there's always security concerns with them, but don't give they don't need internet access, by the way. I know they're yeah. a switch, but they themselves don't need to go out on the internet uh, for things. And they probably don't have an update method. I'm not just sure. I, I've debated about trying the FS.com and thought about buying one and kind of dive deeper into it. But I think Patrick from Serve the Home has uh, done some videos on those. Yeah. We've uh, so back before Dell Bottom, I used a good amount of like Force 10 stuff, right? They they work that stuff again, right? It's like everyone's all like, oh, I need my new shiny switch stuff. Like again, switches are one of those things that like I set them up and I forget them. And occasionally maybe I have to make VLAN changes. Like, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not in poking the spanning tree. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, I'm, I'm really not like, you know, maybe I want to play with PV lands. Maybe I want to, uh, you know, can play with some of those things like 802.1X or I want to play with some of the port guards and some of those features like that. But like, I you just don't log into switches. Like you just, they, they just work. I log into them to upgrade them and that's it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Unifies give you this cool UI to make things easy to use. That's why they're so popular and things like that. But even myself, my home lab stuff or my, you know, I, once I set up my cameras, I've never touched yeah. them. They just work. They just move data. <laughs> you log in for monitoring, right? It's like, oh, why is my network slow? Let me figure out what port is using all the bandwidth. Or you want to look at those little ants move in the new like ubiquity UI. You're not logging in making VLAN changes regularly at all. Like you just don't do it. Yeah. You know, and to touch a little bit on it as well, kind of back on the router topic, because it's I skipped over this a little bit, but one of the other things about understanding the web UI and some of the bad web UIs versus a good web UI is how accessible it is for someone to configure. Mm -hmm. Reason we don't all just code everything in assembly is because there's not, there's a lot of learning you have to do to know assembly. It's a lot yes. harder. I've watched people who are really good at it and scratch my head at how they're so damn good at it, but that's obviously not for the masses. Same thing with having a good web UI on some of these. This is where having some of these systems out there that have good web UIs that make it yeah. easier for the average person, they're more likely to set it up securely if yep. it's easier to set up. Yeah. I'm a big fan of secure by default. All these things should come relatively secure out of the box. And we're starting to see movements in that way. The biggest thing that I think the web UI screw up a lot is I wish we could agree upon a defined way to configure VLANs and it, it's the Cisco way, right? Where you have a, a native VLAN and everything else is trunked and you can yeah. prune the ones you don't want or allow the ones you do want. This, some of the weird things where it's like, I'm going to give you a VLAN and then it's going to have a U or a T depending on if it's tagged or untagged. If it doesn't have a letter at all, it's neither of them. It's like, I don't know. I, and not only that, Unify has changed the definition a couple yeah. times now, like in their Unify platform, but they use the U and the T in their uh, Edge platform. It's all the U's and T's, and they got a little thing that stacks as it goes down. Yeah, I, I don't know why people just don't copy, because there's not copyright on that if you just did it no. with Cisco. There's not like Cisco's yeah. coming after people, because some yeah. some companies do copy the way Cisco. Yeah, <laughs> the HP way is okay, too. That's probably my second favorite way, where it's like you to find a VLAN, and then like in the VLAN config, you can just do tagged, and then a list of ports, then untagged in a list of ports. That's probably my second most favorite way, but like sometimes... I want to look at a VLAN and see what ports it's on, both tagged and untagged. Sometimes I want to look at a port and see what VLANs are on it. Like I need the ability to do both of those in a sane way. In some of the switches, web interfaces, 
just uh, and I'm looking at you, Cisco Small Business, because it is literally the worst. Uh, make it really hard to do that in a sane way. I, I see someone said this. I don't recall this. Someone said Cisco sued. Um, Cisco owns a copyright on some amount of that configuration language. However, Cisco stole that from somebody else. So I'm not sure how successful they are in actually defending some of those lawsuits, like or moving forward with some of them. Yeah, I have to dig around to. Yeah. It's always, there's always a little bit more to the story about probably what was taken there. That might be an interesting history dive, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the edge switches by Unify or Ubiquity specifically, because Unify is their product line. Ubiquity is a company. Yeah. I don't want to conflate that. But the their edge switch line, it it was based on the before BIOS forked. I can't remember what it used to be called before BIOS. Someone will type that down in the comments. But the they forked it prior to that. And it used to be the original Unify line. You could actually SSH into it. And then you could tell that local host and get into that you uh, the command line UI. It used to be in the early versions of all the Unify switches. It's a shame they stripped it out later, uh, but it was pretty yeah. solid. But unfortunately, I'm not seeing much in the way of updates, but I don't know how many updates the edge system really needs. I don't, they don't yeah. have much excitement around that product, but it does exist. Any of the ones we installed, they seem to run forever, but a lot of switches do a uh, Viata. That's the, that's the one I was looking for. Viata was original before uh, Vios. Vios is a fork of Viata and edge took a copy of Viata and you yeah. kind of customized it for their own purposes. I mean, somebody pointed out that NXOS is Linux-based these days. Almost all of these switches are, well, almost all of them are Linux-based these days. A lot of them used to be VXOS, I think, is the name of the, the real-time operating system they used to run that predates Linux for a lot of this stuff. Most of those have moved to, uh, to Linux. Some amount of them, like a lot of the big Juniper Iron, I think is still FreeBSD-based, although I think more recent Juniper Iron is going to Linux uh, same thing, F5 load balancers used to be free or NetBSD based, I believe. Yeah, and now they're Linux based these days too, right? So it's like in the end, all of these things are Linux under the hood. A lot of them are going to more containerized, you know, the management plane's a container, everything's a container. But like the real thing, the real difference you get is that like the more expensive like Cisco Enterprise, Arista, those enterprise companies, they're all making their own ASICs, right? So a lot of this stuff gets punted to hardware that on your commodity hardware ends up getting pulled down to the CPU. Yeah, and because there's a more available availability, I would say, for Linux kernel developers. So when they build some custom hardware, they want a couple extra custom modules loaded in the kernel, support their offloading chips. Yeah. Linux is going to be the uh, OS because yep. if I were to uh, put a job hunt out for someone who knows Linux or BSD, yeah. I'm going to get way more people saying, oh, Linux, okay, I've heard it, you know, uh, in terms of de developers. Yeah, it, it, and it used to be, I think a lot of them, you know, used to use FreeBSD. I think Juniper went that way because it was really easy to build a slim down like there was very good native support for building like a very small FreeBSD box, right? Like you could get it down to fit on a floppy for many, many years. And that's what Monowall did. The first yeah. one, which yeah. Monowall is the predecessor to the PF Sense. Oh, I forgot about that. I remember Monowall. Yeah. That yeah. Was Mono, so the wireless ISP that a guy named Matt uh, that I know used to run, they used Monowall and Microtik. Like the CPU is Microtik, and then they ran Monowall at the head end to do all the rate limiting. Yeah, it's 
it's one of those things that I always joked about just the whole BSD world. I always think BSD was like first for a lot of things, but mm-hmm. Linux did it better in terms of like commoditizing it and making it to the mass market. Cause you know, we even yes. had jails in the BSD world long jails were around forever before yes. uh, Docker and all the other containerization yep. came around for Linux. <laughs> yep. Uh, jails are like when, I mean, if we want to get really pandemic, we could go back to Slayer zones and say oh. that they kind of, Copied some, yes, yeah. yeah. Right. Like we can, we can probably take you even back farther than that because I bet you there's some IBM hardware that like OS 360 level stuff that also did some. Well, Vax, I mean, Vax did a similar sort of thing for sure. You, you definitely had some sort of thing there. <laughs> and if you didn't know, Jason's background is very much in BSD and Puppet, yeah. not just networking. We're here for the networking. Maybe we'll, 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 we should do some history talks on some of the old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We're a couple of gray beards now. We got some of this knowledge yeah. we can share. <laughs> I, I mean, I own a vac, so we still need to make that work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think we well, covered all of these. Yeah, I here. think we beat the end of my uh, my little pros cons list here. We hit the end of it. Yeah. No, this is uh, this was fun. We'll have you back on. There's definitely some more fun topics to cover yeah, on there. We can, we can do puppet one day if you wanted. You said I, that it was a potential topic. If there's We've talked a lot about Ansible. I know Puppet is still popular. Yeah. Uh, we it is something we actively manage and support at CNWR. So <laughs> it is it is indeed in use at companies you would know the names of. Yeah. Uh a hundred percent. Like we so we were for a handful of years, actually, probably for four or five years, we were a service delivery provider for Puppet. So we were doing Puppet Consulting in Puppet's name. Uh, and there are some very large companies using it. I think these days a lot of them moved over to uh, it moved over to Ansible. But yeah, I think that's one that'd be fun to get Jay on for too. Yeah, and I, definitely, I think Jay's actually yeah. done some work with Puppet as well. So he he used to work at uh, a few places doing large scale enterprise hmm. automation, just like you. So. <laughs> Cool. Fun topics uh, all for next time. So thanks everyone for joining us on the home lab show and uh, see y'all next time. See ya later.